there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, uh, this is a conversation with a buyer who's in the market for both a holiday home and an investment property at a total budget of about 200,000 US dollars, which is doable in Japan, but we talk about which one he should buy first, if that makes a difference at all, and how much of his budget he should allocate for each. And also based on what criteria, which then also led us to a discussion of due diligence on properties and locations. So where to buy holiday homes, where to buy investment properties. Um, obviously not all cities, towns and villages in Japan are created equal for both purposes. But what does that actually mean in practice? And um, what sort of yields can he expect from his investment in various locations? And then we also talk a lot about um, tenants, tenancy laws in Japan, lease renewals, lease cessations, how to assess the condition of a tenant property, how to run checks and due diligence on the tenants themselves, what types of tenant securities are available and how they work. And then finally, also a bit about purchase costs, upkeep, maintenance costs, uh, short-term stay feasibility, renovations, repairs, and how it all works with us as buyer and owner proxies. So a really good in-depth conversation on all things related to a first purchase here in Japan. Hope you enjoy the chat, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, I'm with you. So let me scroll down through your email just to remind myself of what we were discussing. So you're talking about cash flow type investment and easy rentable location, and the second one is residential home for holiday use. And you're based yes. in New York, and you have read through our explanation of services documents, so you have a rough idea of how we work, right? All right, yes, I do. Okay. Um, so, yeah, for now, really, the, um, the goal is to, uh, you know, um, mostly the, an investment property for rental income. Um, and the, you know, long term, we would, my wife and I would like to move to Japan. Okay. Um, and uh, so we thought maybe you know starting with property investment would be at least a good way to to get into um, um, some type of uh, again some type of investment we can you know think about long term uh, in, in Japan. So 
Okay, so I mean the logistics of the procedure are, are identical regardless of whether you're buying an investment home or a property, but then or a residential property. But the nuances are a bit different. Um, so first on the investment front, um, it's important to know that if you're buying tenanted, which means you're buying straight into income, kind of turnkey, like most of our customers do. Um, Japanese tenancy laws prohibit anyone from inspecting the interior of a property which is being tenanted. So there's no in-between renewal of the lease, in-between changes of ownership, nothing. Nobody can enter a tenanted property um, unless by request of the tenant for maintenance and so forth, but not for anything else. Which means that if you're buying um, a tenanted property, the interior is basically sight unseen. So all we have to go on is any um, renovation history which the seller can give us, which is valid if it was you know up to four or five years ago. Beyond that, whatever it was might need to be done again in any case. Right. And um, maintenance requests that the tenant uh, have filed and things that the, the landlord has attended to over time. So that's all that we have to go on in sense of what the interior is going to be like. We can make assumptions based on the length of the tenancy. So we know that if anyone's lived there for 10 years or more, it's mostly going to be a complete renovation. And if they've only been there for two years, it's light, light wallpaper and, and flooring kind of thing, right? Right. So one question I have is... Um even though I understand we, we can, uh, you know, sort of inspect the property, but what information can we learn about the tenant? Um, so we know everything about the tenant at the time they signed the initial lease and moved into the property. So we would know if they were employed, how old they were at the time, um, obviously what sort of securities they provided. Um, but we don't get updates. So if they're currently unemployed or, you know, they've currently been divorced or married or anything of that sort or had kids, we don't know anything about that. And the way tenancy leases work in Japan is that a standard tenancy lease, unless um, any of the sides has informed pre-renewal that it's not going to be renewed, it just automatically renews itself every two years. I see. So you could be, as long as the rent is being paid, nobody asks any questions, nobody inspects. So if you have a tenant who's been there in, for 10 years, aside from their age, you're not going to know about any changes in their uh, personal circumstances, right? And, and if they stop paying rent, or if that ever arises, what, what are the options? So first off, that's very, very rare in Japan. The tenants tend to be very docile here. Um, we do occasionally have, especially in more blue-collar cities, we would occasionally have slightly less or slightly um, slightly delinquent payments that are a little bit late or a little bit short. Um, they always catch up within a month or two, and if it's chronic, then we can reach an agreement via the property manager. We, reach a, uh, we make them sign a memorandum that they're going to be adding a certain amount for what they need to catch up and so forth. Worse comes to worse, which has only ever happened to us, I think, once a tenant just stops paying altogether um, or chronically late and it keeps happening, then we just send them a letter telling them that they have to evict and usually off they go. There's no forced evictions or nobody drags you to court or anything of that sort. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. But that's in yes. practice. Legally, because again, the legislation is very tenant-oriented, legally, if you do happen to land on a tenant that's, um, I don't know, an elderly man with nothing better to do with their time who would insist on stuff, then it's important to know that 
Um, they're allowed to terminate the lease at any point beyond the initial two years, and the most you'll get for them is one month notice. If they terminate the lease before the two years, it depends on what the lease um, specified, or usually going to be again one or two months compensation at most. But you are, although you can inform them, there's a, a clause in the lease that lets you inform them six months before a renewal that you're not planning to renew. They do have a legal leg to stand on if somebody ever does decide to take it to court. Uh, you're supposed to provide a very good reason. So what we do, if you do at some point want to uh, take the property back into personal use or anything of that sort, then we would give them compensation because moving, uh, moving out and moving in is very expensive in Japan. So we'd usually offer them one year worth of rent compensation and politely ask them not to renew the lease. Right, because it does cost them at least six to eight months of expenses equal to the rent that they're paying. And, and do tenants pay a deposit up front? So there's three types of securities. When you inherit a tenant, we're going to have whatever they had in the original lease. Basically, it's um, the lowest level is personal guarantors, which obviously due to the nature of the security is not as reliable as anything else because they could be destitute they could be dead if it's elderly parents for example so that's the lowest form of security and that involves a lot of chasing up until you get paid and the second one is a cash deposit which is usually equal to one month of rent unless they have a pet or anything you know they're a particularly high risk profile and then the kind of security that we prefer which we insist on whenever we place new tenants is a guarantee company that guarantees up to three months of the rent plus cleaning, repairs, anything that, any debt that the tenant might have left behind, they'll usually pay out of pocket. And they'll also cover you in cases where, for example, um, you've got a tenant that sometimes happens, for example, with Southeast Asian students who come here and then just disappear mid-lease because they just ran back to their home country. So in those cases, the guarantee company will actually keep paying the rent until you get the unilateral court order that the property is back, back in your hands, right? So it could take up to six months or a year. So that's the kind of security we prefer the most. If you do have an existing tenant in place that doesn't have any securities or that only paid a cash security deposit, then we can make it a condition of the purchase that uh, we would ask that tenant to sign up for a guarantee company, for a rent insurance as we call it. But in that case, you will have to pay the sign up fee, which is usually equal to one month rent because we can't suddenly change the terms of their lease because we want more securities, right? Understood. I, I personally don't have an issue, you know, um, investing or buying a tenanted property. Certainly, as you mentioned, you know, I'm, uh, the, the, the Japanese, you know, in general are fairly compliant. Yeah. Um, follow rules. Uh, but uh, my, my concern in coming from New York is, you know, tenant protection laws here in the States. The U.S. is a very different market. I don't know how you guys operate there, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's almost impossible to evict someone, you know. Um, yeah, um, yeah. There's so, none, none of that. There's no squatters or, yeah. or drug labs or forced evictions. Right. None of that. That's good. Um, so so really, you know, you know, our our budget is um, about two hundred thousand dollars US. Um, is that and, for uh, both properties or per asset? Well, for both, really. Okay. Um, so so you know, 
we're thinking, you know, really where is a good good place to invest? Obviously, we're we're we're, we're familiar with Tokyo because um, uh, my wife and I have both worked there for a little bit in the in the, in the past, um, and um, have been actually uh, was there just the, the uh, last month for the holidays. Um, she, my wife is um, she was so she was a flight attendant for Japan Airlines, um, and uh, so she flew to. Osaka, uh, Fukuoka, all over Japan. Uh, so she's a little bit more familiar with some of the other cities than I am, but still, as really not, you know, it's been almost twenty years since she did that did that type of work. Yep. So it's really the the, the locations, you know, given our budget, something that um, you know, I, I from my research, just looking at some of the uh, real estate websites, it's. Uh, it's really, you know, it comes down to the age of the building. I guess it is, has a lot of, you know, plays a lot into that into that budget and um, just uh, central, you know, whether it's centrally located or not. Yeah, so I think so. I think to unpack that one, we'll have to um, a little bit discuss the holiday home first because if the total budget is two hundred thousand. Um, for holiday homes, that is starting to look like half or more of the budget for something that's livable and doesn't take much in maintenance over time. So I guess the first thing I would need to understand is how much we're going to have left over for the investment property, and that'll then dictate which locations we're going to be looking at. So do you want to give me a rough idea of what kind of holiday home you had in mind? Um, something in the... Um Again, we were thinking somewhere in the Kyoto, Osaka area, uh, probably Kyoto. Uh, We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces and fully equipped kitchens and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels which if you've ever stayed in one you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own but longer term or with a family you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. 
And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Uh, in that region where we can, you know, um, go there maybe once a year uh, for, for a month or so, maybe, you know, even uh, summer vacation, if you will. Okay. Um, and are you looking for a relatively modernly renovated home or are you looking for something old Kyoto townhouse style? What, what? Yeah, nah, nah, something more modern. It uh, doesn't have to be, you know, again, something that's a little bit more, um, you know, uh, this, it's not, not too much work, I guess. You know? Okay. So your budget is total 200,000 US. Is that including purchase costs or just the listing prices? Listing prices, you know, I understand typically the fees are under 10, 15%. Is that accurate? Um, 10, it gets closer to 10. Well, first of all, it's including our fee for representing you. So it's more like 15 or 20%, depending on how cheap or expensive the property is. Mm-hmm. Um, worst case for something that's, let's call it half. So something that's about 10 million, I'd say... Worst case, you're probably looking at um, about 17, 18% for each or on the total budget, same thing, mm-hmm. um, including our fee. By settlement, it'll probably be closer to 16, 17, but we like to assume, because we don't know how much um, everything is going to be in advance, we like to assume a worst case scenario of um, 18% and then it goes down from there. So assuming that, can I assume that your budget is including costs up to 230 or 240? Yeah, yes. Okay, so that in yen, give me a second. Uh, well, let's go off the 200,000. So 200,000 US dollar in Japanese yen. So at the moment that's roughly 25 and a half million yen so we're talking let's say we're taking it half so 12 million yen is not gonna buy you a relatively modern definitely not central kyoto house right so when we say modern let's put it this way because the the structures in japan are basically light wood or steel framed wood at best they're not very durable and they tend to pile up in maintenance costs as they get older so beyond say 25 years of age you're probably looking at somewhere between two to three thousand bucks a year in annual maintenance on average you could have five years where everything's okay and then the roof goes but on average let's call it two to three thousand when they get past 35 40 years of age um, that's already becoming more like three four thousand on average and then you also have to consider that um, you probably if it's not been freshly renovated you probably want to do a lot of the interior to just bring it up to modern standards so does that budget include an interior renovation budget if required or is that supposed to be something already livable <laughs> um, I mean, I prefer to be something that would be more already livable. Um, I mean, part of the thought consideration was that is also, you know, if it's something that we can do a short-term rental, you know, um, if it's something that can be also, we can earn an income while we're not there. 
In Kyoto and Osaka, that should be doable. There are quite a few, um, I mean, legislation in Japan is a bit strict on um, short-term rentals, but as long as you have a licensed management company in place, um, that should be doable. And they'll either do um, what's called minpaku, which is a different legal classification and that qualifies for Airbnb and Agoda and that sort of thing. Um, or if the local ward office regulations are more challenging, they might turn it into a monthly rental, which is done with an actual lease in place. It's still short term. It's still going to be available for you when you come to visit, as long as you let them know in advance. Um, but it doesn't fall under the Minpaku legislation, so that's a lot easier to manage for them. There's less compliance that you need to go through. So if you want to go for um, Minpaku for real, let's call it short term rentals, periods of a few days or a week and without a lease like Airbnb, there are certain local ward office will have certain regulations that you'll have to comply with for fire and safety. You'll need to have, um, they're not going to allow you to do it for more than half of the year. And then the other half you have to compensate with monthly rentals. Anyway, it has to be within a certain distance from public facilities. So it becomes a lot more, um, a lot more compliance heavy to the point where we'll have to confirm all of that in advance before we actually submit an offer on the property. So I would probably advise to aim more for monthly rentals rather than Airbnb and so forth. I see. Okay. Um, so that's very doable in Kyoto and Osaka. But again, the question is, if budget-wise we're going to end up with a property that's very distant from the city center, let's say up to an hour or 45 minutes from city center, I don't know how many monthly rental guests would be interested in that, right? Right. That's true. Yes. yes. Um, so to buy a modern niche um, livable property in central Kyoto is not going to be, it's going to be closer to the top end of your budget in total if we're lucky and potentially more than that. I see. So I see. How, how far from the city center do you feel that you want to be? Uh, for me, um, it's no, it's within an hour. I think it's okay. But again, if you're saying, if you're telling me that it might, you know, just, um, that that short-term rental potential is dramatically reduced. Obviously, that's something that we'll have to think more about. And how, um, how large do you need it to be, or layout, meter-wise? Just one, you know, one... It, we're very used to the very small, you know, Japanese hotels already, so nothing uh, very large, you know, just one room, really one room was a, was a kitchen area. You okay, know, think, so well, one bedroom plus dining kitchen kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, um, so that's potentially more doable closer to the city center. Um, the exterior will most likely be an original structure from way, way back, but they do very, um, they call it a renovation because current zoning regulations don't allow them to rebuild due to distance from public roads and width of access roads and so forth, but they're masters at renovating it while keeping the very bare minimum of the base or a supporting wall so that's officially classified as a renovation. So that one we would hopefully be able to find in central Kyoto. The price we'll have to see, I can't tell you in advance. We have one customer who recently purchased something similar to what you're describing for, I think, 12 or 13 million yen. Um, but that's the rarity rather than the norm. So I would assume that you're going to be using um, at least 15, 16 million yen of the budget towards the holiday property. I see. 
which then leaves us with up to about 10 million yen for the investment property. But I would maybe, if the plan is definitely to get both, I would maybe start with the holiday property because that's going to be the more challenging one budget-wise and then see what's left over once you've identified the kind of property that you want to purchase, then see what's left over for investment. So investment-wise, we can we can find a profitable studio or one-bedroom apartment, not a house. I, I wouldn't advise on houses as investment properties in Japan anyway for the same reason. So condo unit... Um, uh, let's call it up to one bedroom plus dining kitchen or sometimes it's going to be just a studio um, we can find them for as cheap as maybe three and a half four million yen in attractive locations but obviously the more we can put into it um, the better the location will be the newer the building would be and then the tenant profile is a bit better too again there's no ghettos in japan but it's still better to get um a young professional as opposed to an elderly guy who smokes in the property and dies there, right? Yeah. So maybe we should start with looking at holiday homes just to give you an idea of what prices are like. I'm assuming you've already searched on yourself a little bit as well. I have. Um, I've been actually, I've been focusing on the investment property more so than holiday home. Okay. Uh, for my own sort of uh, research. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand, you know, um, I'm I'm kind of leaning to think about the other thinking about it the other way is that you know the the holiday home is almost a nice to have uh, nice to have at yeah. this point yeah and and, and, and you know um, if we want to postpone have you know that purchase say for another year or so I okay think we would something well know, I mean if you got an investment property that kind of pays for your trips to Japan anyway right right exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and you can stay wherever you want using those proceeds. So we can definitely start with that if that's okay with you. Well, in that case, I would say that the sweet spot, um, I mean, you could go for central Tokyo and central Osaka if you wanted to. That budget would fit one property in those locations. Um, but yield is going to be quite low. In Tokyo, if we get three and a half, we're happy. And central Osaka, maybe four, four and a bit. And net, net before tax, just so we're on the same page. Yeah, so that's that is fairly low. Um, I was thinking, you know, again, I think like you said, if you factor in taxes and and, and the um, the the monthly fees, right? Um, mm. So uh, so I'm wondering again. It's like, but so what type of building is would that you know what would I get for that? Is it like a newer type newer building or is it a uh, or a high-rise building or a low-rise type of building? Um, so definitely not new. You're not going to get new in uh, most cities for this price. Um, it's going to be... And again, new is also not good yield-wise because the, the price to purchase rises a lot more sharply than the rental graph, right? So again, you're, you're going to be looking at 2 3 4%. So the sweet spot for yield, but also not too old so that... Um, monthly fees don't start going through the roof and tenants still find it attractive, I would say is between 20 to 30 years of age. And then how central and how new within that scale depends on the city. So we could buy, I would say the price would probably be, depending on the city, in most attractive locations would be between 4 to 12 million yen or maybe call it 6 to 12 million yen I'd be super happy with because the 4 million ones mean smaller cities and older buildings. Um, so yeah, 6, 6 to or 11 or 12 million yen will probably get you a, a good investment property. 
And then if your total budget is that and you don't want to spend it, depending on the city, you could split it into two if you are keeping the 25 million just for investment. Yeah. No, I mean, that's something that, uh, again, uh, we would, I'll, I'll have to confer with my wife, but it's something that we would consider maybe, you know, doing two investment properties. As I mean, diversity is always a good idea, socioeconomically, okay. geographically, whatever the case may be. Right, right, right. You know, for, again, you know, or even for Tokyo, if, if it's, um, you know, f further, a little bit further away from the city center, um, one of the outer wards, for us, I mean, you know, it's it's so. As long as um, uh, the um, say the the walking distance to a to the train station is is relatively easy and convenient. Are, are we I mean, talking about the investment property now? I'm talking about yes, investment. Property. We wouldn't recommend yes. any property. I mean, when we start reviewing listings together, we'll go into them case by case. But we we would very rarely recommend anything beyond ten or maybe twelve minutes from a station. Right. And the only exception is if it's one of the major stations, like say it's 15 minute walk to Shinjuku or Shibuya, then it's a different story. But otherwise, not more than 10 and even central stations, not more than 15 minutes. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, and in particular our J-Rep sessions, you're probably more than familiar with Blanca Kobayashi of Arc Reform. They're a bilingual renovation company serving clients in the Kanagawa and Kanto area. So Tokyo, Chiba, Saitama, Kawasaki, Yokohama. They can handle simple, small-scale projects as well as full house renovations, and they will work with you on the perfect design for your dream family home. But not only homes, Arc Reform also handle commercial property renovations, offices, restaurants, bars, shops, you name it, from traditional classics to the latest trends in interior design and renovations. So you want to email them for a free consultation and quote at info at arcreform.com. That's A-R-K reform, all one word, dot com, and give your home or commercial space the love and care that it deserves. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, again, so location-wise, again, you know, I think Japan is... Uh, fairly uh, sophisticated in terms of transportation so yeah it's, it's, yeah it's, but i mean uh, even suburban tokyo is not going to be super attractive kawasaki as well is going to be close to four percent at best um mm -hmm. yokohama saitama chiba city start being more reasonable yields wise mm -hmm. um and some of the satellite cities and bedroom communities that are within, say, 45 minutes to an hour from Tokyo, they can also be good. I mean, they might not rise in price, but they'll have better yields. Right. right. Um, otherwise, all of the other cities that you've mentioned. So central Osaka is challenging, but suburban Osaka, we can find some good deals. Kobe, we can find good deals. And Nagoya, it's a bit more blue collar, slightly rougher tenants, but still good city to invest in. Um, Kyoto, if we happen to see good deals coming out of there, and then Fukuoka, uh, Sapporo, but Sapporo we're aiming for higher yields to begin with because the winters can be rough on maintenance and vacancies. I see, I see. Um, yeah, you, usually you're those are, sorry. Right? Sorry? I'm sorry. You're based in Fukuoka, right? Is that yeah, but we work with third party agents and property managers, so we, we're ambivalent to where the property actually is. We don't mind. And, and, and Fukuoka, I mean, um, just talking to my wife about it, she, she actually thinks it's a, it's a very good city to... to Best touch. city I've ever lived in, for sure. <laughs> I love it. So, so it's something, it's, it's one of the cities that we, uh, you know, we certainly would, you know, would, would keep on our list. It's also um, very much a sweet spot 
between price and yield and, and the profile of the city because Fukuoka does rise in prices when Japan's economy does well almost as sharply as Tokyo and Osaka do. Um, but it still has a lot of room to grow. It only came on the map kind of 11, 12 years ago, yeah. so it's nowhere near um, Osaka and Tokyo proportions. So it does strike a very good balance, and it grows organically, um, meaning people are still having babies here. The population is rather young, which is very rare in Japan. Yeah, yeah. But it's not as um, it's not as uh, profitable as it used to be since we moved here. It's uh, almost doubled in price, and yields have almost been cut down by half. Absolutely. Yeah. But it sounds, but sounds like there may be still some some room to. A lot of our customers still prefer. I mean, definitely, if you're coming from Singapore or Australia, where you can't get more than three percent anyway, people don't mind getting four or five here. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, again, I, I think we're we're, we're we want to focus in you know again in sort of investment properties, places that um, we think that there's still you know room to grow um, or at least potential, and. Um, as long as you're not banking on capital growth in Japan, that's never a good that's idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't think that's that's a wise decision, no. at least in Japan. Great when it happens, but don't count on it. Okay, so, I mean, we're happy to send you some samples of properties that people have recently bought or stuff that we're currently researching for other people. We can put in a couple of hours of free research on your behalf just to give you an idea of what's out there. And then when you want us to dig deeper into any of the properties, start contacting sellers, agents, submitting offers and so forth, doing more research in different areas, uh, by that point we'll need to be engaged. So those um, two documents need to be signed and witnessed. And we'll issue an invoice based on what we think the budget is going to be and then we'll credit or debit post-settlement based on the actual purchase price. So uh, one question I do want to ask about is in terms of, you know, Managing the rental properties that you'll, you'll, you'll be assisting me with that as well, yep. right? Uh, as part of your services. So, and then uh, in terms of um, collecting rent, uh, depositing it into a bank. So, I'm trying to understand a little bit more about that. So, you um, can't process. open a bank account in Japan without residency or at least without establishing a company here, which is usually for this level of investment is not worth the annual upkeep. So what we do is we collect all rental income, we pay all expenses on your behalf, and we send you an annual statement of uh, income expenses and how much you've got left. If at any point between the annual statements, you know, the rates are suddenly attractive and you want to remit funds back home because you want to capitalize, we can give you a rough estimate and remit to you. And then if we overshot, we'll just catch back from your rental income later. So that's never an issue for us. Um, it's not a, it's not an escrow account, or is it? It's no, not, is, no, we okay. can't we can't open those. Our banks limit us to a number of accounts that we can open. Definitely not one per customer. We can't do that. Understood. Escrow as a escrow has only kind of become a thing here five or six years ago. I've heard of a couple of escrow companies, um, but they charge a fortune for the services. And the market here is very strictly regulated and everything has a paper trail several miles long so i don't think as a rule overall i don't think the japanese actually felt any need for escrow services to date i mean when we conduct settlement we remit the funds um to the uh, buyer to the seller and then the um sorry yeah to the seller and then the receipt the electronic receipt from the bank and the seller's confirmation to the property lawyer that they've received the uh, funds is usually all that it takes. We never had any issues with anybody saying we haven't received money or anything of that sort. I see. Mm. I see. 
And the property lawyers, the judicial scriveners that handle the sales as well are very strictly government uh, licensed and monitored. So they would, even the real estate companies, they would never do anything to jeopardize their license here. It's a strictly regulated market. I mean, Japanese being Japanese, you must have been here once or twice. You know what they're like. Right, right, right. Um, okay, yeah, no, I, I appreciate uh, if you, you know, just to, um, if you can sort of help me with this with this uh, endeavor. Yep. Uh, I'll certainly look to, um, um, you know, uh, sign those two documents. Again, I think it will be uh, based on our conversation just now and and, and watching some of your videos and, 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 and some of the uh, testimonials that I've seen seems you know I think I think your 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 company is a, is a very um, you know it's one of those businesses that I think found has has a little niche especially for foreign buyers like like myself was interested in Japan yeah, yeah so I think it's something that it's very worthwhile service oh thank you I appreciate that uh, I hope most of our customers think that way as well yeah <laughs> All right, so do you want me to start you off with some samples and then if anything catches your eye, we can, um, I mean, you can start working on the engagement documents meanwhile. Sure. If you do want us to be able to um, kind of immediately pounce on something attractive because they do f go very quickly here. Usually they'll be spoken for within a week or two if it's a good deal at most. So if at any point you think you want us to start putting in a, putting a leg in and, and submitting offers, then let me know and I'll issue the invoice at that point. Okay, great. Yeah, if you can send me some samples and, and if I, you know, um, while doing my own sort of additional research on the on some of these websites, um, I don't know, if I find something I can send it to you for to analyze as well. Yeah, that's, that's we're fun. always happy to do that. That's what we do that whether we've been engaged or not. Uh, and also, um, do you have do you want me to send you a list of um, property websites? There are two a specific one that are geared towards investment properties that is very uh, easy to, to parse through. So I'll send you a couple of those to have a look at. Sure, yeah, if you don't mind. I've been uh, looking at this website called Cambia. That's one of them, and the other one is Rakumachi. Okay, Rakumachi. Okay. Rakumachi.jp, I think. Yeah, just search Google Rakumachi, you'll find it. Okay. And those are the two main investment property websites. And then you could occasionally find some gems in Sumo or um, Homes.jp, but... They're a mix of everything, so you have to carefully check whether it's tenanted or not and try to figure out what the monthly fees are. Uh, Kenbia and Rakumachi just um, do it in a very orderly fashion, so it's very easy to analyze quickly. Yeah. Okay, great. That sounds like a plan. All right, we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ziv. Pleasure. Good Thanks for you. your time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So there you have it. Lots of info there for first-time buyers on both sides of the fence, whether investors or holiday makers. Hope you found some value in it. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com 
and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku.